0: We really have felt God has impressed on us this phrase, intimacy and increase, and uh, I spent a couple of weeks speaking around Isaiah 54 and then Isaiah 55. Uh, Sam spoke last week around this phrase and talked around the first uh, two values, uh, the the objectives that we've just set before the church. Um, We really feel, and, and sorry if you feel I'm repeating myself, but we're just aware that we do get in and out people on a Sunday, so some people might be hearing this for the first time. We really feel very, very clearly from God that these things are what God has put on our hearts for this next season of the life of Hope Church. So we don't see this as all done and dusted in the calendar year of 24, but what, whatever we're feeling, God is saying this is for this season that we're, we're in. And so it's something that we're going to keep bringing up. Um, It's something that we'll put things and strategies and plans around for each one of them. Um, And I want to just talk about a couple of them this morning. I'm going to focus more on one, and then I'm going to mention a little bit um, of of the other one. So I'm doing uh, two objectives this morning, and then Sam's going to finish with the last one next week. So they're going to come up on the screen. The first one is this. Here we go. Thank you, Jude. That's brilliant. We discover our purpose in God develop our gifts, grow in maturity, and find a place to serve. And the second one is this, we create a building that serves our vision, is a light to our community, and has a culture of excellence. Now, I'm going to mention that second one a little bit later, but I want to focus my main thoughts on that first one. I had a bit of a moment, a bit of a leadership moment uh, last Saturday, and it, it was triggered By a conversation I had with with Albert, actually, Um, I I, last Friday week I met up with Albert at the end of our working week, and we just had a bit of time together. And um, he said this to me. He said, he said, when I when I finish my job on a on a Friday, he said I turn my computer off, and he said, and every night I I don't have to think about my work um, until the next morning. And he said, he said, but that's not like it for you, is it? And I said, no, actually, it's not. I, I said, I kind of, apart from when I actually go away on holiday, um, and I forget about you all, um, I, I, it's very difficult to switch off from this role because, you know, your job is around the people that you love the most and you serve with and you serve alongside. And, of course, so many are your friends as well. Um, and, and I had a little leadership moment last Saturday about... What is it about my role as a leader that I feel is the purpose? That, why do I do what I do? And in March this year, I'll have had the joy of leading this church for, for 19 years. And it is a joy. I've, I've, you know It hasn't been without its challenges. But by and large, I, I just love what I do. And I, I love serving these people, and, and so as I had a little... This, this conversation I had with Albert triggered this thought. And I, I sat in our prayer room at home last Saturday and I jotted a few things down about what, why do I do what I do and what do I love about my job? And I, I wrote this little sentence. Here it is. It's not coming up on the screen. You'll have to listen to it. To help people find God and to discover all that he has for their lives. I think in a nutshell... That's probably why I do what I do. I love helping people find God and I try my hardest to help people discover all that God has for their lives. And Paul writes these beautiful words which is coming up on the screen in Colossians 1 verse 9 and 10. It says these words, here we go. For this reason, since the day we heard about you we have not stopped praying for you We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And I think if I could write a prayer about my job, that's what it would entail, that I pray that God will continually fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy Of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And if I die before you, I'd like to think that my life has achieved some of that as a leader. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 2 says these words. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. In both those verses from Colossians and also in 1 Peter it uses the word growing or grow. When my my sister first got married Uh, My sister's married to uh, someone from America, and my sister lives in America. Uh, My mum and dad used to go and visit my sister out there quite a bit in those early days of when she was married. My sister is still part of a church that she's been part of ever since she's been out there. And um, my mum and dad, when they used to go and visit her, uh, she she lives in Illinois. She lives about 70 miles south of the city of Chicago. And my mum and dad got to know a number of people in my sister's church. And one of uh, the men that my dad got to know was a man that owned a construction industry. Now, when I say construction industry, I'm not talking about building houses. He had his own business and his job was to build the steel framework of skyscrapers across the whole of the United States. And as my dad got to know this guy over a few years, he said, Vic, would you like to come with me to Chicago? We're building this, like, 80-story building. So my dad, in his innocence, said, I'd love to. So he turns up in, on, into the, onto this building site, effectively, in the city of Chicago, and in front of him was the framework, the steel framework, of this what was going to be this skyscraper. And he invited my dad to get into this little cage at the bottom and come up with him. And my dad said to me, when he relayed this story back to me, he said, when we got to the top, he said, I'm in this little sort of steel cage, and he said, I could see planes under me landing on an, air, on an airfield. That's how high up he was. He said, I'm, I'm like way up in this city, and he said, I'm watching... These workers harnessed as they walked out onto the beams of this structure. And my dad asked him this question. He said, why, why are all the guys that are working for you Indian? And do you know what he said? He said, they are Mohawk Indians. He said all the companies across America, this is not part of my message but I find this very interesting, all the companies that are part of the construction industry at this level in America building these skyscrapers, they employ Mohawk Indians to do this kind of work because they have got nerves of steel, they've got no fear. And actually, I, I, I read a little bit about it actually this week. That their nickname was the Skywalkers. The, this tribe, these Mohawk Indians were known as the Skywalkers because they were employed because they would be willing to just like, harness up and walk across these beams and do what they did in helping construct these enormous skyscraper buildings. But then the point of this illustration is this. that In the conversation that my dad had with this guy, he said... If this is what's above the ground, what goes underneath the ground? And this guy told him that when they build these skyscrapers, they put these things into the earth called pilings. They're big steel steel girder type things. And they go into the ground up to 400 feet deep. I mean, that's like some depth, isn't it? And he said, out of that, out of what we put in the ground... Gives the strength and the durability of what you see above the ground. Building down is as important as building up. What you have going on internally is as important as what I see externally. When I sent that email out last week, or actually this week, about, um, about Debbie going into hospital and having the surgery, she actually she wrote the email and I just, uh, I just tweaked it and sent it out. It was, so it was her, her wordings. And I don't know if you noticed, but in that email it says, Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. So let's put that first objective up again, shall we? It says this, we discover our purpose in God, develop our gifts, grow in maturity and find a place to serve. I want to just focus on, because you could, you could actually preach a week on every one of those little bits of that phrase, but I just want to focus on the word grow in maturity, to grow in maturity. The reason that I've chosen that part of this sentence this morning is this, that how we grow will affect everything else in our lives. My skills and my abilities, how I serve, what I do externally that you see will be more effective if I'm growing well inside. Rick Warren, the pastor, he's not anymore, he's, he's retired, but he was the pastor of one of the biggest churches in America. He said, what goes on in you privately will have the biggest impact in what you do publicly. What we allow God to do internally will make who you are externally. And so I just got a couple of questions for us this morning. You don't have to answer them right now. But as we are still relatively at the beginning of this new year, here's the first question. What can you do to help yourself grow this year? And the second question is, what can we do to help you grow? What can you do to help yourself grow this year? And what can we do to help you grow? And I'm just gonna offer two points. Um, And the first one is coming up right now. Delight in him. Delight in Him. If I said to you, "What does the word delight mean to you?" What would you say to me? You can call out now. What, what if you think of the word delight? What does it What does it say? Chocolate. Chocolate? So, a someone who's carnal, isn't there? <laughs> what angels? Delight. Angel delight. Okay. Anything else? Apart from indulging in sugar-filled food. Okay, anything else? What? Happiness. Happiness. Anything else? Come on. Joy. Joy. There's no wrong answers here, by the way. So there's angel delight, chocolate, and then two more delightfully spiritual answers, happiness and joy. Okay, anything else? Your family, yeah. Delight brings us those sorts of things. Joy, happiness, chocolate, angel delight holidays on a beach, all of those kind of things. You know, that kind of stuff, all right? But you are completely wrong when it comes to the verse that I'm going to read, which is Psalm 34, verse 7, where it says, delight yourself in the Lord. Come on, you Bible people, if you are. What does it say? And he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's say that again. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 34, verse 7. Now, I want to talk about what delighting in God means from the biblical translation of this word in the Hebrew language. And to help us, I want to just share a little illustration that when I was growing up as a young boy, we had a toy cupboard in our home, and in our toy cupboard, we had a plastic box full of plasticine. And I think you can get plasticine nowadays that doesn't go hard and rigid. But you couldn't then. And what do you think my mum used to do before me and my sister played with the plasticine. I'll tell you what she did. She would get a lump of plasticine out of our plasticine box and she would hold it in her warm hands and she would just knead it. Thank you, Michelle. Knead it. Like she's doing bread. She She would push it and squeeze it and the warmth of her hands as she pushed her thumbs in it, kind of massaged it, What happened? It got soft. And then what happens is this. She would give it to me, and I would make a tractor out of it, (laughs) or a footballer out of it. But we won't talk about football today. (laughs) Because that was awful yesterday, from my perspective. The word delight in the Hebrew, in Psalm 34, verse 7, means this. To become soft or pliable. It's got nothing to do with, hey! It's got nothing to do, ultimately, about joy and happiness. Although there are definitions of the word delight in the Bible that do mean that. But for many times, when the word delight is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's all around this thing of softness and pliability. And what I believe God wants all of us to do when it comes to delighting in him is to say, God, would you make my life pliable? Would I have the kind of spirit of gentleness and meekness? Can you take hold of my life and shape me? I want to be pliable in your hands. Jeremiah prophesies it a little bit like this. He says, Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. If you've been in church long enough, You may remember this song. You are the potter. I am the clay. Help me to be willing to let you have your way. Delight yourself in him from this psalm means, God, would I become soft and pliable in your hands? And when I come to that place, That's when I get the desires of my heart. That we would not be Christians who want to be hard and rigid, but malleable and pliable in the hand of the Lord. I think if we want to grow in Him, and as Peter says, to grow up in our salvation. Here's a challenge for all of us, whether we've been Christians for decades or moments. Is, am I in this season of my life willing to place my life into the hand of the potter and say, Lord, would you shape me how you want to shape me? Would you shape my character? Would you shape my desires? Would you shape my perspectives? Would you shape my attitude? Would you shape me so that I can be like you? Because Jesus, I wanna delight myself in you. This year, as we wanna grow as Christians, and I'm assuming that we all do deep in our hearts, Let's place our lives into the hand of the potter and say, Jesus, would you shape me? I want to be pliable in your hands. I can remember the times in my life when I have been rigid and hard. And I'm a bit of an idiot, really, because I get stroppy about stuff, I'm immovable. I don't listen, I'm dogmatic, I can't be told. But I can also remember the seasons in my life where I allow God's grace to work in my heart and in my life and I become a much nicer man and a much nicer person. Because there is something about the work of the Holy Spirit and a pliable heart to God that is a very beautiful image and there is something very ugly about a life that is rigid and hard and say don't you touch me don't you come near me I'm not going to change I want to grow and to grow I want to delight myself in him and be pliable in the hand of the Lord number two there's only two. Learn from him. Learn from him. A little bit of culture that will help us here from Jewish times. In, in the New Testament, the Jewish people didn't have the New Testament for the simple reason it hadn't been written. <laughs> and, but So the only thing they had was the Old Testament, what was called the Hebrew Scriptures. And the Torah, the Hebrew Scriptures, were absolutely paramount, of paramount importance because they gave the Jewish people their identity and their foundation. And so Jewish people in the times of Jesus would learn the Torah as much as they possibly can. They would learn Hebrew Scripture as much as they possibly can. Now, if you were a girl you would have only got up to primary age education. But if you were a boy, you would go on to further and older education. And every boy's dream, and I'm, I'm telling you the truth, every Jewish boy's dream would be that a rabbi would recognise them and they would become one of the rabbi's students. Because the rabbis understood and were able to interpret the Hebrew scriptures. And so what would happen was that a rabbi would identify, and I'll come on to why this is beautifully significant for you and me in a moment, but a rabbi would identify the smartest boys. So usually the boys that came from poor backgrounds who had no education. They never got picked by a rabbi. But the smartest boys would get chosen by a rabbi and a rabbi would take that young man and he would put them through tests. He would stretch them. He would expand their thinking. He would test them all the time to the point where the rabbi approved that the boy would be good enough to become what the Hebrews say would become the talamind or the disciple of the rabbi. And this is what the boy was crying out to hear. There would come a moment that if the rabbi approved of the boy enough and they were willing for that that boy to become the official disciple or student of the rabbi, they would come to a moment, and this is where it becomes beautiful, they would come to a moment where the rabbi would say to the boy, follow me. And every boy dreamed that one day a rabbi would say those words over him follow me and what the rabbi was saying to that boy is this i trust you to learn my ways you have passed every test up until this point by saying the words follow me i trust you now to learn my ways. This was much more than a, a student. It wasn't like sitting in a in a class, passing an exam. It was a lifestyle of discipleship. That that boy because he would just heard those words, follow me, the rabbi was saying, I trust you enough to learn my ways. I trust you enough to represent who I am. Now, who was the greatest rabbi of all time? And what were the two words that Jesus said to uneducated Burly fishermen on the coast of Galilee. Follow Follow me. So that's the significance of those words, that Jesus walked down a beach one day and he said to Simon Peter, follow me. He said to Andrew, follow me. He said to a tax collector that was sucking up to the Roman Empire and stealing money from his fellow Jewish people, sitting there at his tax collector's desk, he walked up to Matthew and he said follow me. What was Jesus actually saying to those uneducated, simple fishermen? What was Jesus actually saying to that dishonest, deceitful tax collector stealing money from from people all around him? He was saying by, by the rabbi saying to those men, follow me, he was saying, listen, I trust you to walk in my ways. I trust you to come and learn of me. I trust you to represent me to others. And they heard the words that in that culture would have been amazingly significant. Come and follow me. And Jesus says to all of us here this morning, follow me. Whether you've got a master's, or a PhD, whether you come from a family where your mum and dad have always stayed together, or a family where it's broken, whether you are clever or not, whatever your background, however you might think you've messed up, the greatest rabbi of all time is still saying over you and over me, follow me. I trust you to come and learn of me. I trust you that you can learn my ways and you can represent me. Isn't that beautiful? That I have been called to follow him, to learn of him and to represent him in my everyday living. We want to grow, don't we? I want to grow. I think it's one of the weakest areas of the Western church, discipleship. I think we're brilliant at social action. I think we're pretty good at reaching out. But Jesus wants disciples. And we have to make a choice in our walk with God... To follow him, to imitate him, to be very intentional about spiritual growth. I still want to do that. I want to know my Bible better than I know it now. I want my prayer life to lead me more intimately into the presence of God than has ever done before. I want to grow in my faith. I want to represent Jesus in a way that He would say, You are representing me. I want to say no to sin and yes to holiness. I want the kingdom of God to saturate every part of my being. And I actually believe that if churches together said, God, Jesus, I want to follow you. We want to follow you. If this church, Hope Church, had 180, 200 adults that was desperately saying, Jesus, I want to imitate you. I want to learn your ways. I tell you, we would have a greater impact on this community than you can imagine. And if the church of Jesus in this country stood up and said, Jesus, we want to follow you. We will take up our cross. We will lay down our desires and we will go your way. I think we would see revival. And that's a cost, you know. This is going to be costly. And so one of our objectives is to help people grow. Do you know one of the easiest things in the world to do is drift? Michelle and I have little conversations sometimes. We're getting to that age now. Bear with me, my moment of indulgence. We're in our late 50s. I know I look it, and Michelle doesn't, but anyway. Where we're just thinking, I wonder what we're going to be doing when we get to our mid 60s. You know, what does sort of like, I don't believe in retirement actually, but what does that look like? What are we, what are we going to do? And so we have these little conversations of, this is we, we, we need to have a plan. I, I bring it up more than Michelle does, I have to say, and it crazes her sometimes. But in your walk with God, what's your plan? What, what do you want to be like in two years' time, three years' time? What, what have you set your course? How have you set your course? Or do you think it will just happen? Do you think you know you'll just walk into a greater growth in God? You'll just drift into, because you won't. We've got to be intentional, because if we're not intentional, we end up drifting. And something in me says, church, in the West, particularly, we need to wake up and we need to get really serious about who we are in Christ and how we can live and follow the ways and walk in the ways of Jesus. So important. So, so, so important. So we are wanting to encourage the church to do that. That's why I asked the question, what can we do for you? You know, we want to we scratch where you're itching. As much as possible. So we put on a marriage course last year. And I think if you talk to all the married couples that did it, they really enjoyed it. Because we want marriages to grow to become Christ-centred. We've got a few things in the pipeline because we want parents to be the best Christ-centered parents that they can possibly be. So there are things like parenting courses that we could put on. The reason that we encourage people to sign up to read the Bible in a year together is because we want to encourage reading the Word of God. There's so many things that we could do, but we want to do the important things so that we can help people grow in their walk with Jesus. This summer, we haven't said anything about the church yet, but I know there's a whole load of people that would just love to experience sharing the gospel with people. So I've got, we've got a couple of friends, the Paula and Paula Weston, they're actually coming here in October, they're part of the Pioneer National Team. They run this brilliant event down in the south of England called Lark in the Park. And I'm going to go this year, it's a four-day event. And they basically put up massive marquees and they, they, they share the gospel with tens of thousands of people in a, in a space of four or five days. I'd, I'd love to take a carload of people this year with me. It won't cost us anything. It might cost you a few quid for food, but that's about it. We'll get put up in homes, um, so accommodation will be free. And I'd love to take maybe one or two carloads for four or five days, end of July, over a weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, and we're just going to go down and we're going to experience what it, what it feels like to get out there in the harvest field, not in discs so we don't feel too embarrassed, but just in, with people that we've never met before and just just go and pray for people and share the gospel. How many of you, and this is not a commitment to doing it, but how many of you would be like, I'd be quite interested in that. Oh, God bless you. I see your hand. Right, I've marked you. No, no, no. 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 But it'd be great just, just to stretch us, to help us grow, to getting involved in... So many different things that we can get involved in. So that's one objective that we really want to do. And the second one that's now going to come up on the screen. Here we go. Here we go. Thanks. We create a building. Is it coming up? That serves our vision, is a light to our community, and has a culture of excellence. This is probably the most practical of all of our objectives, but we... Statistically, they say that if a church gets up to 80% full, you stop growing. And we have not got everybody here this morning, but we consistently have a pretty full building on a Sunday morning. That's not the only reason for doing this. But this building is tired and a bit scrappy in places. So we've formed a little team called Building for the Future, people who've got real skill sets in buildings. And we would love input into this, your ideas. Email them to me or Sam. Because if we stay in this building, we would like to redesign this building. But that will probably cost us six to seven hundred thousand pounds to do. Which, in terms of the kingdom of God, is not a lot of money. But we might decide, you know what, we still haven't got a very big car park. You know, this is going to be... We're not going to get a bigger building because we're built right out to the parameters. So why don't we sell the building and start again? And get a new, brand new centre. Now, we need to hear God on all of this. We're not, going to, we're not going to rush it. We want to pray about it. So we want to ask you as a church, would you pray about it? But I'd love us to develop... Either a new building project here, or a brand new building that serves our vision, which is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, that is a light to our community and has a culture of excellence about it. And I'm I'm being just completely honest, and I'm not the only one that notices this because I've had a few people come and talk to me. Our building is not very excellent right now, and I'm not saying we need. We're not going to build a shrine, and we're not going. We're not going to build a palace. I love the fact that our building gets knocked about a bit. I love the fact that we do activities in our building that's a bit messy around the edges. I love all that. So, so I'm not talking about building a shrine or a palace. I'm not into all of that. So, so hear me, all right? But our toilets are pants. They are. Every time I walk in there, I'm thinking, well, these are awful. You know, they're, the places are tired and undecorated and bust and stuff like that. So at the very least, we're going to have to do a bit of work on this building. I and mean, we sit in our offices in the winter, and we freeze to death. You should feel sorry for us. Because we've got windows, the, the width of a blinking paper bag, and it's freezing. And oh, anyway, and then people walk in the office, and it's like a sauna in here. Do you know why it's like a sauna in there? Because as soon as you turn the eating off, you're freezing. So trustees, help us out here, please. And no, I'm, I'm kidding. So, so just... That aside, I feel really excited about this. I feel excited about all of our projects. But you know what? Sim, Sim Playford and I, we've been in prayer walked around the old Vauxhall garage next to Tesco's. And I'm thinking, that would be a brilliant place that would. Right in the middle of town. Footfall. Everybody drives past it. Hope Church on the front. God, wouldn't it be good? I don't know. But I dream about things like that. Or we could find a piece of land and start again. I don't know. But don't worry about the money. If God has ordered it, He'll pay for it. He might use your bank balance to help, but He will pay for it. Okay? Well, He will. That's that's the bottom line. He will. Kingdom living is about generosity. So, so He will. He will need to use our generosity to pursue some of those things. Okay? But but we really are serious about that, and and we're not going to nail it all in 2024. That's why this is a season. All right? But but it's something we're really serious about, and, and we're either going to have to do it in this building, or we're going to have to get rid of this building, sell it, and start again. So, come and join us in that journey. That is a bit scary, I know, because that, that is going to cost a bucket of money. But you know what? Twenty-six adult members built this building. There was only twenty-six adults in what was this? I think it was DC Three then. Actually, Janet, Janet would probably remember that. But there was twenty-six adults in this church that had the step of faith to build this building that's great isn't it so we are living in the legacy of men and women of faith thank God for them because some of them are not alive now people like, but some of them are people like Dennis and Josie Clark were part of that my dad was part of that I've got a picture uh, at home actually of just the steel framework of this building and it says the new home of this Christian Community Church uh, I'll show it to you I'll put it on the screen one Sunday there's way more than 26 of us so we could do this we really could because God could do this so let's get excited let's get envisioned let's do what we need to do to see God's kingdom come both in our own personal growth of building in our own hearts but also maybe physically building something new or physically building something different so amen, amen. come on Mark shall we shall we sing a last song